Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello dear listener and welcome to Owning It the Anxiety podcast with me, your host and author Caroline Foran. This week on the series, I'm joined by Sabrina Hill. You may know her from Instagram. I asked her how she wanted me to introduce her and (laughs) she says she's just kind of given up on trying to say what it is she does. Like me, I hate that question because it's very hard to uh, narrow it down. So she just says she's a hairdresser and she's got a very big following on social media. She has an incredible way with words. She is the owner and head honcho at Copper Hair Salon in Cork and a very, very important story to tell um, and one that I'm not sure is particularly well known. There's a lot here that she says that she hasn't shared before and I'm very grateful to her for her generosity with sharing and her vulnerability and it's just more and more conversations like this that I know will slowly but surely dismantle whatever stigma is still left around our mental health difficulties and this was really important for me to listen to and I suppose for me to trace back to my self as a younger 20 something year old and how special it would have been to hear this then and how validating that would have been and encouraging it would have been to see someone like Sabrina who's doing so well and achieving great things and having great things in her life alongside carrying anxiety with her it's not a case of getting over it and then saying that's in my rearview mirror but learning to cope with it um, and she's been through a lot so I hope you find this episode helpful and Sabrina is just a breath of fresh air thank you for listening Sabrina Hill, I have been dying to have you on Owning It since since we first met actually in person and we had such good chats in a very busy environment. We were at an award ceremony and it was, it was not, so busy. It was not the place for so the anxiety busy. chats, but you being an open book, me being an open book, naturally, we just cut through the bullshit and got straight to the real chats. Um, and I knew that you had your own experience and your own story to tell. Fast forward we both have kids now you well you already had one you've had your second kid it's been a long time and we're finally sitting down to have this chat albeit over zoom and uh, I'm thrilled to have you thank you so much for joining me thank you so much I'm actually very honored to join you and as I was saying earlier on I just think it's so cool that you speak very openly about um, anxiety and because I think there's so many different realms of it I think there's so many different areas and me being now in my 40s I feel like I have been through so many different types of it and different types of mental health issues um very serious and also kind of things that I manage on a daily basis as well and that I try to manage in my best way 
it's definitely a twofold thing. I think we all, no matter what, no matter how good things are, we're all managing and we all have different coping strategies for day-to-day stress and overwhelm. And like, there's definitely a tendency, I think, in media to conflate the two and think, you know, the word anxiety became such a buzzword of like, oh, it's just my anxiety talking. And, you know, there really is a difference between an anxious moment or a, a, a shit day and suffering and having your quality of life really negatively impacted by chronic anxiety where it's it's getting in the way of the things that you need to be doing and depression which can sometimes you know come along for the ride or go hand in hand with anxiety for a lot of people um so yeah i know you've i know you've had your fair share and i'm just really curious as someone it's always really i suppose reassuring to hear from other people who especially who you look at online and see doing so well and thriving and you know being happy and achieving goals I think if people who follow you online see you from from afar, you know, you come across, you are super bubbly and confident and full of life and positive and energetic and enthusiastic. It's hard to imagine you as someone who can be weighed down by anxiety. So take me back. Was anxiety always a feature of your life? Is it something that you've carried with you? Would you describe yourself as having always been quite an anxious person? Just start from the very beginning of the anxiety. So. Now, now looking back, I most definitely had anxiety in my teens, particularly in kind of like my mid to late teens. I remember that there was an episode where I lost the plot over something that I can't remember, but it resulted in me ripping up a sticker book that I had at home because I was collecting stickers and it was just like maniac. I just started tearing it apart and there's no explanation for that, but it was obviously some form of a panic attack or some form of anxiety riddled kind of mania that I had when I was really, really young. And I didn't see anything wrong at the time. And I don't remember my parents ever saying anything to me about it. I've actually never discussed that with them since. But I do remember that one time and it stands out because it doesn't seem what I would call normal behavior. Mm -hmm. But I suppose my first time really dealing with any kind of mental health issues was when I fell pregnant with my now eldest son, who was 22 years of age. And it was a pregnancy that wasn't planned. I didn't really know um, his father very, very well. Um, we just kind of were only six months together. And I found it really, really difficult to kind of like discuss how I was feeling about it. Um, I was deeply unhappy that I had become pregnant. I felt at the time that it was going to ruin my life, which it didn't, but I felt that I had way less options and I didn't have many close friends. I had just kind of, I suppose, left school and I had gone into my first job working as a hairdresser. So even with the people I was working with, I didn't know everybody that well. Um, And now looking back, even when I was younger, I don't know, did I ever really have very close friendships kind of like I have now. I think maybe mm. it was something that I put up a little barrier when I was younger. Roll on giving birth to my little baby and I will never forget the fear that I felt inside in the hospital after I gave birth. And I remember my mother leaving and me grabbing onto her and begging her not to leave me. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do. I actually, I was like 19, 20 years of age, but I actually looked like I was about 15 years of age. I remember when the nurses used to come in, they used to actually speak to my mother instead of speaking to me because I just looked so young sitting inside in the bed. And I must have looked so scared as well. And I remember I made the decision to breastfeed, um, mostly because I wanted to prove that I was an extremely good mother and that I was someone that was going to be able to take care of my child. And I had great difficulties actually with breastfeeding. Number one, there wasn't a huge amount of support. Number two, I had my baby quite early, so it was a bit of a shock. He was about five weeks early, so I didn't make any lactation kind of classes or anything. And breastfeeding didn't suit me or it didn't suit Aaron. He was too hungry. I wasn't producing enough milk. I don't know if I had had someone, a nurse to sit with me and explain things to me. It might have been different. But given what I was going through, it was horrific. I got mastitis. I was very, very unwell. And I had quite a few people say things to me that I probably took up an awful lot worse, but they most certainly 
should not have said them like things like, oh, I had no problem breastfeeding mine. I had um, a nurse come to the house, the, the usual nurse that comes around and um, they mention another mother down the road who had given birth really recently as well and said how she was coping on great. And if I just put the effort in, I would be OK. And I even remember after a very good GP um, gave me tablets to stop my milk flow because I was very, very unwell. I actually ended up having a temperature and getting very st- sick with mastitis. And I remember the nurse coming back to the house and saying, you should give it a go again. You should really give it a go again. And there was a whole lot of me not actually being able to talk and me being so confused and hormones all over the place that I started to really feel like I was a burden on everyone. And in particular, I was a burden on my baby and that I was no good and that I was going to be no good as a mother to him or to any of my family. And when Aaron was about four months old, I made an attempt on my life, a very serious one. And I ended up inside an intensive care and inside in a hospital for a number of weeks and then transferred to a psychiatric unit in Cork, St. Stephen's, um, where I spent quite a lot of time, very heavily medicated. And I went through bouts of what I what would be called postpartum psychosis. And it was a really, really scary time. It was very scary for my family, I would say as well, because um, I was very heavily medicated. So there was parts of that where I wouldn't actually um, remember thankfully but unfortunately for my family um they do remember and it, and it was it's very very hard to deal with that when you have never had any experience of it in the past and you're so young I mean like uh, this is a it's a fact that keeps coming up in every episode but it bears repeating not until you're 25 years of age has your prefrontal cortex fully developed and that's the adult part of your brain like you were plunged into adulthood and dealing with these things that your brain wasn't even mature enough to handle. I was I was so young. But the, the one thing I remember out of the whole article was feeling like I was a burden. And I think that um, it's one thing, I, it's one of the only things I love everything that happened in my life, no matter how bad it is, because I have learned the most greatest lessons. It actually has made me a great leader, a great communicator. I feel like I run a business better and that I communicate with everybody that works for me and other people in my life in a much greater way because of all these of these life experiences. But the one thing, the, the one thing I really, really wish that I could have grabbed hold of me and told me was do not feel you are a burden on anyone. Because any time that I have gone through something and I've kept quiet about it, any time that any of my friends have gone through something, the one thing I always notice, particularly with us women, is that we don't want to discuss it because we feel like we're a burden. And if you could just remove that stigma and if you could just remove that really horrible feeling and you would pick up the phone, you would ring someone, you would speak with someone, you wouldn't kind of feel like that you were a burden on anyone and it would stop so much of the bad feelings or the anxiety and the mental health issues that can take hold. Um, Where do you think that feeling of being a burden came from? I mean, was was that something that you firmly believed about yourself or? I think it's generational. I think it's Catholic guilt. I really do believe that. I think that times are much more different now. Even I look at the way that like, I converse with staff of this beautiful girl that works for me just gave birth. She's the same age as what I was when I gave birth to Aaron. Um, she gave birth the other day and and it was wildly different conversations that I was having with her than what my boss had with me at the time. Do you know, it, it's like, I think that we treat people differently now and we are more aware of people's mental health issues. And even if they don't have them, we, we still make people more aware of these things. So generally, I think when it comes to what I went through, it's no one's fault, but it's definitely genera- generational. Like, it wasn't that long when you think about it. Mm. It wasn't that long that women came out of the laundries and came out of all of these horrendous institutions. And the next phase was always going to be difficult to navigate compared to where we are now. Absolutely. How much do you believe 
that your suffering at that time was down to it being turmoil within you or it being turmoil turmoil within you in the context of a very mentally, like we didn't have the conversations that we're having now. There was a lot more shame, a lot more stigma. Like if you had plucked yourself from at that time and placed you into 2024, same person, same age, how do you think you would have fared? I know exactly what you mean. And, and I suppose it'll, it'll be explained so much more in the second part of my story. Right. Because what I went through in my, um, when, when I first gave birth to my child, actually my first child, when I went into hospital, almost identical thing happened to me about seven, eight years ago. And very, very nearly ended up becoming a huge issue because I, after I gave birth to Aaron and when I got very, very unwell, there was about eight years of me doing hardcore therapy to get to where I am now. I did lots of different kinds. I did hypnotherapy. I did cognitive behavioral therapy is absolutely amazing. It taught me so many amazing things in my life and how to deal with situations and how to deal with the me inside my head talking to me. And I think everybody needs to do therapy of some kind. Everybody to have successful relationships with their partners, with their parents, with their children. I think it's just, it needs to be. However, about eight years ago, I went through, maybe a little even bit longer now, I went through a separation and it was horrendous time in my life. And I started to feel very, very depressed. Now, I'm a person that would have always ran on a little bit of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So how I would describe it is that I am naturally quite hyper. And I perform very well when I have that little bit of buzzy energy in me. And I I would always think, right, my anxiety is a little bit like that. Sometimes it can be too much. But if I'm at a certain level, I have learned to live with it. And I quite enjoy it because it gives me a bit of fuel to get to where I want to be. It's a re- I suppose I work as a hairdresser as well. I need that energy. And I kind of perform a little bit all day when I'm around people. You have to yeah. be it's like literally called, with um, it. Optimal anxiety. There is 100% yeah. or more adaptive anxiety as opposed to maladaptive. Yeah, So and, and I enjoy that. However, it was a really big shock to my system when I got separated because I got deeply depressed. And that was something that I can't even remember being when I first gave birth to Aaron. I don't remember feeling that low. I felt very, very low. And I remember going to my doctor and saying to her, I feel so, so depressed. And I think I need to take an antidepressant. I need something to help me through this because this part of my life is just absolutely horrendous. I only see darkness and I just see no way out. And I would have been very good for talking at that stage. And I had lots of close friends around me and that I had great conversations with and it would seem to be like the best thing to do and I remember starting my medication and it was mad within that 24 hours I started getting jittery I started getting quite shaky and I remember thinking there's something really wrong here there's something very wrong with me and I ended up going back to the doctor the following day, but no, it was actually about two days later. And I remember sitting with her going, there's something very wrong with me. She said, no, you just have some anxiety. And I was really adamant. I was kind of like, no, I have presented myself very depressed. I definitely don't have any anxiety. And this feels very physical. And there is something. And, I, and, and there's something really wrong here. So after chatting with her, we decided, we both agreed that I was going to increase, she was going to increase the dosage and I was going to take it. And within another day or two, I ended up getting very, very unwell. So unwell that I had severe shakes. I wanted to peel the skin off my face and I ended up getting to the point where I was doing continuous walking. I'm sitting in my kitchen now, but continuous walking around the island. Couldn't stop. It was manic. It was really, really, really manic. And I was very, very lucky that I ended up going to see a clinical um, psychologist who said, you are of no harm to yourself. 
but there's something else going on here. And I think you need to go see a clinical psychiatrist. And I did. I went to a clinical psychiatrist who said, you were having a major issue with the medication that you're on. I am going to wean you off these and we're going to put you on something else. So in that space of time, around six months, I was weaned off this medication. I also had to go on beta blockers because my heart was palpitation the whole time and I could not stop shaking. And it actually wasn't until that I got pregnant with my now 10-month-old son, Robin, that I made the decision with my consultant obstetrician that I would go sit down with the perinatal team in CUMH. And I had the most interesting chat with one of the psychiatrists there who diagnosed me with akathisia, which is something that you can get from taking certain types of medication that have a huge toxicity issue with your person. So a lot of antidepressants. Now, it's a very rare thing. And he even said in his case of all his years at work, he had only ever seen one other person with it. And it was very clear and obvious that is what I had. Um, And he described everything to me and I have listened and read up on so much things since. And some of the main medications that cause this are antidepressants, the newer types of antidepressants, the very, very new ones, um, and also decongestants can trigger this as well as another type of medication that can really trigger this. And it comes across as being absolutely severe anxiety. Yeah. Horrendous. And of course, I do suffer from anxiety anyway, and I always have. So to me, it would be just like the beginnings of this and getting worse. And I cannot blame my GP because she definitely was looking out for me. And it's so rare that it's something that if you have someone to present themselves with severe depression and then after starting taking a medication your mood can go up and down and your actions can become that of anxiety so Mm. of course you would um increase the dosage to try and balance things out and for me that didn't work but it was a really massive great thing to learn because i now realize i have so many types of anxiety and for me they actually need to be treated medically very different Mm. Um, I would say so going back to what I would say is when I was younger when you were talking about what I went through when I was younger I needed to have a lot of therapy then it was definitely the type of anxiety where I needed to train my brain to deal with some of the things that I was going through I would not say that it was hormonal in any way I would definitely say that it was the medication that I was on that created that I caused that postpartum psychosis that time. So would you say that the psychosis, the postpartum psychosis was probably caused by the medication you were put on at the time, but there was also would have been an element of postpartum anxiety, depression at play. Absolutely. I think like that would have absolutely element. I was there was no doubt in my mind that I wasn't able to manage or cope with that with with the, the situation that I was in as a 20 year old who really didn't know the kind of like really didn't know Aaron's dad that very well at the time and and not have many friends and feeling very very isolated like none of my friends that I went to school with had babies um I felt almost like I was dirty. I felt that um, my life was over. Any opportunities I would have had, and that definitely had an effect on me with regards to being depressed and having anxiety. But when I went on medication, there's no doubt in my mind that I got clinically so much, so much worse. And I could even see that they had tried all different types of medication on me. And now that they, when they did put me onto much older types of medication and antidepressants. Amnitriptyline was one of them. I was so much better. Oh, wow. And I got a, a whole lot better. And finally, when I came out of hospital and I was like, I was at the point where they were going to do um, electric shock therapy. They were at that point where they felt that that was what they needed to and do. You were 20? With me. Yes. 21 at that stage. I was 21. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. 
So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. They had tried so many different treatments and medications that I can understand from their point of view as well. Right? This is quite a rare thing. So it's not something that they would have thought of. And mm. as we just said, I was 100% suffering from depression and anxiety because of the situation I was in. So it went side by side. It was just that I got clinically worse. And it was a decision by my parents and by my GP that I should come home and that we would throw the kitchen sink at it. We would go to therapy and we would go and talk it out. Yes. And that really, really worked very, very well for me. I was so grateful that when I did move on, when I was getting separated and I went through all this again, that I knew myself very well, that I was able to have that conversation, sit back and kind of go, hang on out, Sabrina, how bad are things? And what way are you physically feeling? And I knew that what I was going through was physically very bad and that it wasn't so much my depression that I was suffering from that time, but there was something else. There was an element of something else that was actually making me much worse. I think it's incredibly validating when you can put your finger on something and say, and know for sure, like I was right about this and I had to trust my gut and I knew something wasn't right because so often, especially when we're anxious or overwhelmed and especially, especially for new mothers, you know, you can feel so out of your depth and that instinct for yourself or for your child can get so suppressed and silenced and you know, I remember my my own mom had a a story of her own when she after she had her baby. You know, this was obviously this is for my my brother is same age as you, um, and he when she had him, she didn't feel right after giving birth, and uh, the doctors kept saying she was just being hysterical, dramatic, and she was fine, and she's like, no, I'm really really not okay, and all the nuns, and again, it was quite a Catholic sort of time. Um, she she was really kind of gaslit and um, as it turned out they had left some gauze inside her that had gotten severely she'd been severely infected and was very very at risk of being you know a goner and she had it was so hard for her to advocate for herself in that context in that time you know with being made feel so small I suppose the how important it is when you do get that validation. I was right and I know myself and I know my body. And despite anxiety and despite thoughts that can spin off and catastrophize, you'll never let yourself down in that regard. Like that, that's a learning that you'll never lose. If I didn't do the amount of therapy that I did, there's no way that I would have been in the position to actually speak up for myself or understand myself that way. Because now that I am postpartum again, I started feeling horrific anxiety over the last couple of months, which has been very different from the other anxiety that I've had for my whole 40 years. Yeah. And I had a horrendous pregnancy. I know. So that was, I, it was, oh. <laughs> I always say, I always say that it feels like everyone else's pregnancy just goes by in the blink of an eye. 
watching yours from afar I was like how is she still here how is she still doing this this is horrendous and like I just felt for you so much because I had a glimpse of it like I was sick but I wasn't your level of sick and oh my god so before we get on to the the pregnancy mm. anxiety and 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 life now something that I would struggle with is having gone through something so scary and so there's sort of looking back over your shoulder thinking will this get me again how did it feel for you to be heading down the path of becoming a parent again even if it's 20 years later 21 years later what was the anxiety like going into a situation that you knew before had put you into such a vulnerable state zero fear I had zero fear I was I was going along to the perinatal team keep other people happy at the start and I went just to explain my situation and 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 it was a grand chat. I would say that I had a much nicer chat with the consultants than I did with the nurse that was on because I felt very out of control because they wanted to be more involved where I was just kind of going in and letting them know I actually feel very, very well. I'm here to let you know this is my story of what happened the last time. Yeah. But I feel very in control. But my consultant obstetrician felt it was very good for me to come and talk to you. So do my family, but I have a great support system. I'm very vocal and it's totally fine. I had been the week or two before I actually, because Robin is an IVF baby, the, but the week before we got the egg implanted and the whole lot, um, the week before I got divorced. So I was actually like literally in the middle of a really horrible, horrible, horrible divorce. Um, my uncle had just passed away as well, who I'm quite close, but was always close, but very dear member of our family. And I was in the middle of this IVF and I should have been raging hormonal, everything. And I was completely fine. I was grand and I got pregnant and it was amazing until week nine. Um, and then obviously things took off, but I never for never once questioned that my mental health would dip. At this stage, I didn't know I had akathisia either. So like I didn't have to rely on the fact that, oh, there's actually a medical term for what happened to me years ago. More and more understanding. So zero. I would put that down to being in a very, very solid relationship with my now partner. And also ha- um, having been very in control about making decision about getting pregnant. I think that was kind of like... Um, where my lack of anxiety, anxiety, I should say. And I do think sometimes, had I been less sick, would I have been more anxious? Maybe I'm kind of thinking I was so overtaken by the migraines and by the actual hyperemesis that I'm not sure if I had more time to think, would I have had a little bit more anxiety? Like, for instance, I only had this discussion the other day about how I feel like at the moment I'm grieving the fact that we're making, we are, I can't even say it fully, we're making decision not to have any more children. And I think now, if I was pregnant, I would have more anxiety about how is the business going to run itself? How is I going to afford everything to keep my son in college? And also kind of like I have a child here. I think I would have more, have more life anxiety about how things were going to run out. But I had zero, I was in a cloud, loud of happiness when I was pregnant. It, it was, it was like, Except for the sickness, Caroline. Just a Except small little minor issue. But because I mean, mm. down, I, I was, like I said, I was quite sick of my pregnancy. But like you, I didn't, there was no space to be anxious about what would come. Um, I went into it completely blindly thinking if I could get through the pregnancy, the rest would be a, just a walk in the park. Um, it wasn't to be the case. And I remember thinking of labour as like the finish line. You obviously had a lot more um inside going into it that you knew that it wasn't necessarily you know easy peasy after but you had a better framework this time you were you know you wanted this to happen you were very active in the choice so then when you had beautiful beautiful robin and finally the physical nausea and the sickness and everything gives you a break i hope it gave you a complete break the minute he came out did it what? no the first day was horrendous and i was actually poor dean was going to the hospital going how am I going to feed him or how am I going to do all this? And I was like, babe, it's okay. I've done this before. You don't have to worry about this. And then I was literally in a bed for the full day in recovery. I had a bit of a reaction to the anesthetic. I would say that's what it was. Oh, and I was just, I was to know what hyperemesis for the full day now. 
I didn't hold my child until properly until the following day. But it was grand. It was fine. See, there's a whole part of it as well is that I was very in control. So this is the greatest thing that happens when you're in your 40s. I, I'm putting this down to age. I was 100% having a section. I'd been through enough in my pregnancy that I asked my doctor, could I have a section? I got a section. In the end, I would have had to have a section because of the way the baby was lying. But that's neither here nor there. It was something I wasn't dealing with. I chose to formula feed because of my experience that I had with breastfeeding. And the more that I got sick during my pregnancy, the more that I was definitely, definitely going formula feeding. So I had, I went to a a nurse, a lactation nurse, to get help on how I was going to formula feed. Like the only anxiety I actually had was trying to pick a buggy. (laughs) Literally, because everything was as planned as it could be. And Mm -hmm. I think I work better as a person that the way he came it was completely fine. Well, but my but my illness and my sickness, like my migraines and the likes of that, that only gave me a small break. And they returned very, very quickly <gasps> when Robin was about. I know I kept a lot of this on social media. I haven't told really anybody about all of this, actually, to be honest with you. They came back with a bang. I ended up getting severe migraines and getting very, very unwell again. And the fun but it, thing but it was, was not pregnancy related. No, <gasps> no. My anxiety came back. I was standing inside and work and I was starting to have panic attacks while I was doing people's hair. And I was like, oh, my God, what 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 is actually wrong with me? And again, the anxiety part that got blinded because I was getting bad migraines. And like when you get a migraine, you know, you've had you suffered from different types of pain, your back pain and everything. So when you get that type of pain, you cannot concentrate on anything. It takes over your body. And eventually I went to see an endocrinologist, Dr. Mary Ryan. She's been on the podcast. She's just, she's amazing. And would you believe that she diagnosed me with a severe hormone problem that I have been suffering from since I was 17 years of age and just about explains everything from when I was 17 and I got my first period because I was quite old, 17 years of age. Uh, last, I would say, November, when I started taking medication. And would you believe she put me on a microdose of amnitriptyline every night to shut down my pituitary gland, to actually stop my adrenal glands going and to actually calm my nerves and help me sleep better. And I'm on, and I'm on progesterone in the morning. Because the only times that I never, ever, that I could actually, honest to God, say, I've never, ever been on edge. And the times I've been most calm in my life were during my IVF cycle when I was getting progesterone every single day. And I have had countless endometriosis surgeries because I've suffered from that through the years. And my very last surgery, they uh, put an implant in me that released progesterone. I was very well for those seven years that that was inside me as well. So after sitting down and having all of these chats, um, Dr. Ryan put me on progesterone every single morning. I'm on that. And we are now at the point where Dean has said to me, you're never coming off that tablet, are you? (laughs) I was like, oh my God. They will have to bury me with it. I mean, obviously anxiety, it's always hormone. But... Would you say that you're over the span of your life thus far, the level at which you suffered with anxiety has been really strongly linked to a hormonal issue? I would say that it was, yeah, very, very much strongly linked to that. But I would also say that there has been certain things that have happened in my life, like not many people go through the level of divorce that I went through or go through certain things like having a child when you're 20, 19, 20 years of age, that even if I didn't have that issue, I would have most definitely suffered from depression and anxiety. There is no doubt in my mind that sometimes I look at things like in the space of one month, I was in court with a divorce. I was, I'd lost my uncle and I was going through IVF. That was test anybody. It was test anybody. And it would give someone anxiety and depression. But I feel that definitely the level of hormonal issues that has been there has definitely contributed a huge amount. I really, 
admire how confident you are despite what you've been through uh, even about the really severe bouts of sickness and anxiety because I I would say one of my biggest challenges is and I'll often have flare-ups of anxiety purely triggered by the fear of going back there and it taking over again and and almost like a scene of the crime memory of of even if 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 I look at photos of myself from that time or I remember something I I I remember that right and I do remember what you're talking about there and I genuinely think hypnosis had a massive role to play in stopping the triggers because there was definitely things from my younger years that I would say would have triggered me severely like you had I heard a certain song or had I seen Mm -hmm. a certain place or traveling through a certain place or something like that would really really triggered me and then the only reason I'm saying that is because now that I'm in my 40s and when I go through bouts of anxiety I find my mind runs back like when I'm driving if my mind is allowed I will run through scenarios of things and I could even go back to situations where I had a female friend that just dropped me out of the blue. I will never know why, but it was probably the one of the most destructive things that ever happened to me and put me in therapy more than anything else in my life that was horrible would have. It was horrendous. It's nothing short of horrendous. And actually, anytime I talk about it online, a huge amount of women say it to me, it's worse than a breakup. Oh, yeah. And I would still sometimes in the middle of say, an anxious period, and I would say this only going back a week or two, find my mind trailing back to a scenario thinking about this person and not a scenario that had happened, but just kind of nearly a made up thing in my head that would make my breath work a little bit faster, that my heart would, would beat a little bit faster. And like, yeah, you could say that maybe hormonal things could contribute to that, but like that's that's anxiety that we all go through as humans from different things that have happened to us. So I know that if my brain does that with those certain things, but there are things in my past that should haunt me so much more, I do feel the hypnotherapy, which was a last resort in mm-hmm. some way, 100% helped with the whole trigger kind of thing. Breaking the association of a lot of those things. Yeah. And it's actually something that should this continue, because at the moment I'm in my happy place going, this is definitely hormonal. But if I, let's say, could see a pattern starting to continue going, there's no doubt in my mind I would go back to hypnotherapy over all of the other therapies that I've done, because I really feel that I benefited from that so much. That's amazing. I mean, I think people always try to see like which is the better therapy, but it really depends so much on where you're coming from, how it works for you, how it makes you feel. If something can, I mean, obviously hypnotherapy works in a very specific way. And I did a recent episode with a Stanford psychiatrist about how scientific it is, because we often think of it as such a funny idea. Um, But even when it comes to other more alternative therapies, which I would question a lot myself, I always come back to the the conclusion of, well, like if it works for you and if it can reduce your stress response and regulate your nervous system, it doesn't really matter like what it is, if it's something that can get you out of that hyper anxious, hyper vigilant state and keep you grounded. And the more time you can spend in that calm rest and digest place, then the better as long as it's you know safe and and legal and healthy to do so. Um, So it's amazing that you found something that you feel that confident confident about that you know you could tap back into if you needed to Um, and another thing as well and I think it's worth saying is that therapists are human as well and I have come across in my time of having gone to lots of therapists I've come across two questionable therapists one who was very very um experienced I would say uh, from a medical point of view and um, did me no good in my situation um, and I think that sometimes it's okay to go to someone and after two two visits or three visits to kind of say, look, this isn't for me. You aren't for me. I think mm-hmm. we that's very, very important as well. And it's really you don't try do. and, yeah. yeah, because you can kind of get blinded by the fact that even someone else can say to you, oh, but you're unwell. Yeah. And that, that's that's not a nice thing. And, and well, it's people pleasing can keep you going to them because you don't want to let them down. That's my downfall. Yeah, no, and that's actually huge. That is huge. That is something that in the past I would have very much been so, but I think it's very important now that if you're not gelling, 
They're yeah. working with your brain. If you don't, if you hear something that's questionable, maybe it's time to move to someone else and keep going because mm. you will find your person. Do you know? Yeah. Like yeah. I, the person that I went to for a huge amount of time, I was seeing her for eight years and I actually remember not particularly liking her. I remember thinking she's like a newsreader. She was just very cold and everything, but she served me so well and taught me different ways on how to use my brain and how to kind of like jump out of really bad patterns of thinking. It's amazing how much you credit people in your life who've helped you. You know, I think we often feel like we have to just figure things out on our own. And it's there's no shame in needing expertise and support there, especially at a vulnerable time in your life. I wouldn't be where I am without the various CBT and different things as well. Um, you touched on your tricky divorce, a very difficult time in your life. What would you say to someone who's either in a situation thinking, I know this is going in one direction and I'm terrified of of how it'll impact me and someone who's maybe where you were thinking, how am I ever going to feel any differently? Actually, if I had an absolutely amazing um, solicitor who became a very, very close friend of mine. And she gave me the wisest words going through all of it. She was a, a huge support um, in one way. And I remember she chatted to me one time about having empathy because I think it's something, and I, I noticed it because I've spoken to some people since. I didn't notice it before I was in that situation myself, but I really noticed it since that there's a lot of anger around going through something like this. There's a lot of anger towards each other um, and each person. And she said something to me one day, and I think it's really important even when you're starting to go through the motions of all of this, um, even at the beginning, it's very important that you pity them. Because if you pity them, you can't hate them. And I thought it was actually one of the best pieces of advice I ever got because rather than get yourself worked up and if you're already in a state where you have quite a lot of anxiety about a situation which you 100% will if you'd then get into this cycle of actually really really being hateful and it's just because of the situation you're in it can be a very dangerous place to be because it'll raise every single bit of anxiety that you have to a whole other level Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember her saying that and it's stuck with me since and I've passed that on to a few people who I know were going through a real turmoil time, you know, and having like real physical anxiety effects. It's just you just need to get to the stage where you just have pity. That's amazing advice. And it's also true and something that we forget that like that level of anger is also an expression of anxiety. Like we talk about fight or flight and it's the fight part. You know, it's the protective mechanism of wanting to just look after yourself by give, throwing out this anger. And um, mm. so it can often come back to the same root as the more fearful feelings as well. Yeah. There was, there was two other things as well that, that served me very well. That was one of the ones that kind of stood out to me. Um, uh, the other one was, I thought this is so crazy, but I have, and ha- I still have, and I had a severe habit of talking badly to myself of like literally getting into this whole cycle of it could be just talking, going through conversations with someone that I don't speak to anymore and just really, really horrendous going over and over and over and over. It's like a train going around in a circuit constantly. And I remember a therapist saying to me, think of somebody you went to school with that you really disliked. I'm going to make up a name now here, by the way, because I'm not going to use the names that I use. But um, I was just like, um, Karen, <laughs> I think Karen, I'm only saying it now for think Karen. It's not because of anyone. Um, and she said, well, what you need to do is when you start on that, you need to get it into your head that it's actually Karen saying these things to you. And you need to turn around and you need to tell Karen to shut the up <laughs> and stop saying these things and just Tell Karen to get out of the house, get out that door, get out. And you actually stop that cycle of you speaking as silly as it sounds. Because I was, I remember looking at Tharps going, she's crazy. And (laughs) I have done that many, many times since. And we don't realize how we can leave the Karens come into our life and stand behind us and speak like that and speak like that. And you just have to say, you're doing me no favors like you're doing, Karen, you're doing me no favours 
by mm-hmm. speaking like this because you're just trying to drive me mad and I'm having no time for this. There's none. And that really, really helped me as well. Speaking of Karens and no disrespect to anyone with the name Karen, I know lots of lovely Karens. Exactly. I do too. I'm related to one. (laughs) But you do have a massive following online. You've garnered such a loyal legion of fans for your your honesty, your personality, just being really down to earth and humble and, you know, your style and your hair and your expertise and everything. But I'm sure it doesn't come without its share of people who want to see you trip up or take you down, Uh tell you... Who do you think they are? Um, how do you handle how do you handle how do you handle that? Cognitive behavioral therapy, basically. I'm like literally, I have skin of a rhino. Okay. And I think sometimes I take the piss out of people themselves that behave that way towards mm-hmm. me. So obviously, if it's someone that kind of like jumps in to my DMs and they want to be famous, I will reshare something. I won't reshare people's faces or kind of names, but I will reshare stuff. I haven't done that now in a long, long time. But in general, I just pity someone that comes into my DMs to literally have a go at me because it really does. That's another kind of issue where I can, or another um, way I go back to the whole pity thing. Mm. I do genuinely pity them because I've never gone in to a strange person's page and gone and private messaged them something nasty in any way. And why they mightn't see it as being nasty, it is kind of nasty. You're a bit of a bitch if you kind of jump into someone's DMs and you start giving out to them. You know exactly what you're If you don't know them. Exactly, exactly. But I just do have pity in them. So what I do is I just let them see that I've read it. And then I do a winky and a kiss. And I put them into Narnia. Narnia, you see, is you have your primary and you have general and you have yeah. kind of like, let's say, I see general is in here. That's what I call Narnia. It's like the door in the wardrobe. Once you mm-hmm. go in there, you never come back out. So I put a lot of people in there and I never go in there ever, ever, ever again. So I put them in there because I leave them there as a follower because they're quite good for my engagement. So they're the type of people that will watch my stories all the time. And like, I am an influencer at the end of the day. So when I send my insights in the back end of my Instagram off to my agency to get me work. I'm very proud of all the little kind of people that are in Narnia who actually keep my engagement up. I'm very thankful for them. I wouldn't have the career that I have today only for them. Oh my God, I love that. I am like way too active with the block (laughs) button and I'm actually just denying. No, leave them there. (laughs) Leave them there. Put them into Narnia. It's like another country. It's like it's like a little desert island out in the middle of the Atlantic and you don't even know what the weather is like out there. And if you put them there, you never know about them. But they'll add to your engagement. They're good for business, girl. They're good for business. So true. Before I let you go, I want to just go back to the the postpartum anxiety round two. Where are you at with it now? How are you feeling? What has helped you this time? Um, is it really a case of the progesterone and what Dr. Mary Ryan prescribed for you? Do you think... Um, being a bit older has helped you and just having the experience and history that you you have it behind you of knowing what's what and being able to see when things aren't necessarily feeling right for you. I think that medication has really, really helped me. Okay. Um, I think taking like the amnitriptyline is a microdose that I'm taking at night time. Um, mm-hmm. It is um, a psychotic psychosis medication it's for it's for it's an antidepressant but it's a very strong one I'm taking a microdose of it and it is definitely keeping me calm and the progesterone is as well I would say that I have learned to live with my anxiety and I don't think my anxiety is ever going to go away mm-hmm. um but I think the worst of it is has been kept at bay from the medication that I'm on and it's actually because a friend spoke to me recently and she said to me, do you think you should go for therapy? Just with everything you've been through in the last two years. And I actually said, I don't know why. I'm still trying to figure this out. But I think therapy right now would be bad for me. Just at this moment in time, I'm coping very well. And I mm-hmm. think it wouldn't be great for me right now. I, I, I've always had this knack of knowing when was the right time to go. And I'm very, very lucky in a weird way that I am of an age where man, I have found my little group of women and we all seem to be feeling the same. So I would say it's an age thing as well. Perimenopause, we're kind of going into another kind of level of our lives. 
And mm. I think we're all going through it. And there's definitely a sisterhood there that when you are like that. And it's so spoken about now. Like you said, you've had Mary Ryan on. So you know exactly how well spoken. And like you're doing such a service for everyone by you doing this podcast because it's more talked about now. And I feel that us as women, we can be each other's therapists as well. Obviously, we'll tell each other, you've got major problems this day. You need to go and you need to have a <laughs> chat with a therapist. But in general, I think that we speak very well now. And I feel we've gotten to the point of where, yes, we do too much and we mask it, but we mask it unknowingly. But I don't think we actually feel a burden when we get to a certain age. Mm. The last question, do you feel that I feel like when we met the very the first time, I don't know that you had had really many kind of public conversations about your experience to date. And it was probably, you know, being an influencer at that time was very much best foot forward. How important is it to you now as an influencer, as someone who's very front facing, you know, working with brands, fashion, beauty, hair, how important is it to you to also bring this element to the fore as well, just for yourself and for other people? I think I'm obliged to do it. I think that it's so, so important that I do it. I have a platform. It needs to be spoken about. And I think that that I would be hiding the best part of myself if I didn't actually speak about it. Because someone said to me uh, a while back, like, where do you get your confidence from? And I said, it's from being honest. That's what it is. It's not confidence in one way. It's just me being honest. And that is a huge part of my life. It's something we deal with every single day. So why we wouldn't talk about it or why would we hide it? Particularly when we're so lucky that we are able to speak to, I'm able to speak to you or we are able to speak to Mary Ryan or different people that we can relay our own experiences that may help so many others. Yeah. I think it's like, I'm obligated to actually speak about it. I need to speak about it. Well, I appreciate it. And I know, you know, if I rewind 10 years ago when, which is when my anxiety story, well, actually, I mean, I've always, I've always been a bit of an anxious mess, but <laughs> it was when I really, <laughs> when you really, realized it, <laughs> it's really only when I realized it um, and when shit hit the fan, how incredible it would have been to go on social media and see someone as accomplished and gorgeous and friendly and bubbly and nice and oh girl <laughs> you you know do what you're doing and also say hey I have really struggled with this as well and I am here in spite of it I'm here it's here alongside me it's not just and it's not I really think it's important to say and I always want to be careful of this I don't ever want to just talk to people after they've gone through something and say, well, now I'm fine. So now you're socially acceptable to come out and talk about it. No, it's okay if you're in the middle of it right now. It's a work in progress. It's okay if tomorrow you have a big whopper of a panic attack. It's not going to take from anything you've said here. It's not going to take away anything you've learned. It's not going to take away any progress you've made um, at all. So I think it's, I know, you know, I, I think of a younger girl in her early 20s in a situation maybe like you were, having your baby so young, hopefully listening to this and feeling like, okay, you know, the future is bright. I'm going to figure this out. There are supports there and confidence is, it's unapologetic honesty and just showing up as you are, how you are and the people that are worth it and is worthy of you will stay through it. Absolutely. And I think that it's really important to remember that when you and I went through that, your decade ago and me 20 years ago, that was our tsunami. Mm -hmm. And I think what what we can say now to everyone out there is that there are aftershock waves and they'll always be there. The sea is never going to always be calm, but you'll never have the tsunami again. So true. And I actually need to write that down in my diary. And remember, <laughs> next time I get worried. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's little wave. The, it's an aftershock wave. It's not the tsunami. We've been there. We cope better. I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you're such a busy mom and it's late and you've had a day and a half. So I hope you get to put your sleep now. I hope the little man stays asleep for you and you can rest. And just honestly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being so generous with your uh, with your story. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It has been an honor. I really do mean that. Thank you.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The easiest way to access owning it real time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access a full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.